I, I get to be a, a part of this Advent series we're in, kind of leading up to Christmas, just with the excitement we have thinking about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So you see, we got these towers that are kind of popping up here. We got hope from last week. We talked about the hope that Jesus brings. I bet you can guess what this week is, right? The joy Jesus brings. And I think in the next couple of weeks, more towers, I will assume, will pop up magically here on stage. Uh, but today we're going to talk about joy. And I think joy is something we all kind of naturally can think about during the Christmas time, right? Some of you have probably already experienced a little Christmas joy. Uh, I know coming out to the tow truck toy run uh, yesterday was just, it was fun. It was fun to watch people just with great joy as they bring just tubs of gifts to give away to these kids, kids that they've never met and might not ever meet yet. This joy in the giving of that, right? And um, I think maybe the most Christmas joy I've ever experienced in one time is over Thanksgiving, we go down to Mexico and uh, just spend some time with some kids in an orphanage down there. There's a whole group of us from, from Bridges that do that. And one of the things we do is oftentimes we'll bring uh, gifts down for the kids, and we kind of do Christmas in November. And this last year, we brought stockings. And we give these kids these stockings, and for like two hours, it was intense Christmas joy, right? I mean, these kids were just over the top. They're playing with their toys. They're eating their candy. They're just running around just filled with joy, right? But about two hours later, um, all the candy has been eaten. Most of the toys have been broken, and they all start eyeballing that one kid who saved his toy a little bit more carefully, like jealous of that kid. And just that reminder that joy sometimes feels pretty fleeting, right? Like it's this thing that we have for a moment and we can lose it. And I think it speaks to the fact that it's something we long for. We all want to feel joy and meaning and purpose in our life. And we long for a joy that doesn't disappear when our toy breaks or when we finished our candy cane, right? And I think that the joy that the Bible talks about, the joy that we're going to read about today is a joy that lasts, a joy that speaks to this place in our soul that longs to be filled. And I think it longs to be filled with Jesus. And we're going to look at the story of Mary and a story probably some of you are very familiar with, a story that that some of you have heard as many times as you've been alive, right? Every year you hear the story And yet, as we're reading it, I want you just to be overwhelmed with the joy that she feels and try to to put yourself into her context and to think about what all is going on in her world and why it is that her and her cousin are overwhelmed with joy. So let's go ahead and read it. Um, It's found in Luke chapter 1, the passage we're going to be reading today. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse uh, 26. So if you want to open your Bible, you can. We'll put it on the screen um, it's, a, it's a little bit longer of a passage, but I think it's just uh, a really a powerful passage. It reminds us of the joy that we can and should have this Christmas. All right, so here we go. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a, the, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed or engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what this greeting might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have been found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he shall be called Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary hears this. She must have been overwhelmed by this. She must have been trying to figure out what could this possibly mean. But there's a little bit of a problem, right? And she says this to the angel. She says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Right? That, that's medically a pretty big problem to uh, be pregnant with the, the savior of the world. Maybe God got confused and sent the angel to the wrong house that day, right? And the angel answers her and the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and he will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her whom was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed her. What a weird night this must have been for her, huh? She gets done. She hears this. She's like, I'm pregnant, and my old cousin is pregnant? And I think that her, her statement is pretty telling. She goes, okay, let it be according to your word. So then it says, it keeps going. It says, in those days, Mary arose, and she went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zachary and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed in a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And behold, when the sounds of your greetings came to my ear, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what is spoken to her from the Lord. So these two cousins, they, they come together up in the hills, and they spend what we know is later, they tells us three months. And I think they're just overwhelmed with joy. So much joy even that the baby, little John the Baptist, starts jumping around in his mom's stomach. And, and I think as they're talking, as they're thinking, as they're contemplating, I think Mary is overwhelmed with joy. And out of that, what you see is she writes probably the most beautiful and complex song Theologically, definitely in the, in the entire New Testament, is powerful, it's deep. Listen to what she, she writes here. And Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And he looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he has done um, great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he has exalted the humble estate. For he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich will be sent away empty. And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her three months. And then she returned home. This is a pretty profound passage, huh? 
And I think it's a passage that, that gives us a lot of meaning and purpose and idea of what this hope looks like, this hope that Jesus brings us. It's this hope that bubbles out of Mary so much that this kid writes such a beautiful and deep song of her joy of what Jesus has done, what Jesus will do, and what he's doing for her specifically. So this morning, I want us to to specifically look at at what this joy is and how is it that we pursue it and learn from it in our own lives. And again, I want us to be kind of overwhelmed with this story a little bit, to really put ourselves in the shoes of Mary and try to, to understand maybe a little bit of what was going on in her world. Because what, what kind of shocks me about this story is just realizing how tumultuous Mary's circumstances must have been, right? Here this young girl finds out she's pregnant. Like her world must have felt like it was spinning out of control. And it reminds me that God comes to us not just when we have everything all figured out, but he comes to us in wherever we find ourselves, He came to Mary in the midst of her afflicted world, afflicted circumstances, and he can come to us now, regardless of whether things are going great in our life or things are out of control in our life. And he comes to us and he brings us joy. I find it interesting, this passage, I don't know if you caught this, but it begins with starting out, says, and Gabriel came to Mary in a city of Galilee in the town of Nazareth. Like, Luke has to go uh, kind of to great lengths to like define where this city is because ain't nobody knows where it is, right? It's not like this is a, a big, cool city that people have heard of. People aren't out there on Yelp going, oh, if you've ever been to Nazareth, you've got to check out their coffee shops and their breweries. They're really cool. No, that's, that's not this city, right? This city was about as far away from Jerusalem, kind of the, the political, religious kind of uh, epicenter of life in Israel. It's kind of the backwoods, There's no great universities in this city. There's no Kumon programs to prep your kids, right? This is just kind of nowheresville. And this this girl, Mary, comes from this reality. And and she's an unwed girl, but she's, she's prepared. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. And in that culture, that was a big deal for, for girls. A lot of their worth, their value was in becoming married, right? And probably Joseph and his family had already paid a little bit of a bride's price, a dowry for her. And then she finds out she's pregnant. She's got to go have this conversation with Joseph. I can't imagine what that conversation was like, right? Hey, Joseph, uh, good news. You're going to get to marry me and become a dad in the same day. But don't worry, it was the Holy Spirit, you know? And Joseph going, no, come on. You think I'm an idiot, right? And in, as when I read the text, sometimes I think like, okay, they had this conversation, and then later that night, the angel came to Joseph, settled everything out, and it wasn't a big deal. They kind of figured it out. But I don't know if that's true. We don't know. We don't know how quickly all that came about. I just, I can imagine how many sleepless nights Mary tossed and turned, weeping, trying to figure out what was going to happen. Joseph just crushed that this, this woman he was going to marry with, now he's got to figure out what he's going to do with that, the pain they felt. I can't imagine what it was like for her to walk down the street and see all the, the, the little old uh, busybodies sitting in their doorfront going, oh, there's that girl. Yeah, she had it worked out with Joseph, but not anymore, right? And, and just that reminder that, that God comes to us 
when we need him, not when we have it all figured out, right? And, and I think that great, brings me great hope because most of the time in my life, I feel like my circumstances, my reality is a little bit out of control, right? I feel like I don't have it all together. Like I, my emotions are pretty torn by all the things that are going on around me. And, and I think this brings us great hope that, that God can bring us hope, God can bring us joy, meaning and purpose, even in the midst of our afflicted circumstances, in the same way that he brought joy to Mary 2,000 years ago. And as I read further, I see this joy. And I think what's really cool about this is this joy really seems to come into like the fullness when Mary connects with her cousin. And I think that's a good reminder for us that that joy, that the joy that comes from Christ, from what he's doing in the world, what he has called us to, the plan that he allows us to be a part of, is really best experienced with other people. In fact, I think joy most often is a shared experience, right? Some of the most joyful times in my life, like deep, meaningful joy, come when I'm with other people celebrating that joy together, right? So the text tells us that Mary finds out about all this. She finds out her cousin, the uh, um, older cousin or older relative is also pregnant. And so it says, with haste, she runs up into the hill country to see her. And I think there's probably two reasons she goes up. One, I think she just needed to get out of Nazareth, right? I imagine she was not looking forward to having the baby bump and walking around the streets of her hometown, right? I, I think that's probably a big piece of it. But I think there's something else going on in this story. And I think it's that, that Elizabeth was probably the only other person on earth who could relate to what Mary was going through, right? Here's this woman, probably a post-menopausal woman, an older woman who couldn't have children anymore, all of a sudden becomes pregnant. And Mary knows this. And Mary realizes that she wants to be with her cousin. She wants to share this experience with her cousin who, who is experiencing the very blessing of God in her life. And so she goes up into the hills and it says she gets there, and she goes, and she greets her, husband, her cousin, and her cousin comes rushing out. And as she's rushing out, little John the Baptist starts jumping around for joy. And Elizabeth realizes how great of a blessing this is. And for three months, these two women sit around together and talk. And I think they spent months talking about what all this could mean. And I think they, they encouraged each other. They gave each other great joy. I think they, they probably talked about uh, verses in Scripture going, man, do you think that when Isaiah was talking about that, talking about the suffering servant, do you think that's that, that baby growing inside your stomach? I think it is. How about, you know, when God promised to bless Abraham, do you think that that promise is becoming true in Jesus living inside of you? Wow, that's amazing. And they, they shared joy with each other. And I think there's a great lesson for us as a church and why it's so important that we are in community with each other. Because let's be honest, that there is great joy from knowing that Jesus has come, that he's conquered death, that he's brought salvation to this world. But that's not a joy shared with all of my friends, right? In fact, that's a joy that we as Christians uniquely share with each other. And I need you and you need me to reinforce that joy in my life, to encourage me to say, yeah, praise God, that God is doing awesome stuff in our world. And I know sometimes your world feels pretty afflicted. I know sometimes you're pretty overwhelmed. I know you're going through some really tough stuff in your home, but praise God, look at what God is doing. 
Look, I just saw God working this way at my work yesterday. And praise God, look what he's doing. He answered this prayer. Or he did this thing. And we share that joy with each other. And I think there's a great lesson for us, a great reminder that, that we need to be in that community. We need to be the kind of people that encourage each other. And maybe that's a good question for all of us to be asking. When was the last time we breathed joy, the joy that comes from Jesus into somebody else's life? Say, hey, praise God, look at what God's doing. Right, that's, that's a really important thing for us to be doing for each other. And, and I think that when we do that, it, it really, when we're focusing on Jesus, it brings this joy that's deep and profound. It's this joy that's, that's not as quick and fleeting as a broken present, right, or as a, just a nice moment. In fact, I think the, the joy we see is this deep understanding of Jesus being the joy of the world. So the question I, I think we should be asking is, how do we understand or how do we see Jesus bringing joy to our world? How does Jesus bring joy into our world? How many of you have sung the song, Joy to the World? Probably all of us, right? Um, I gotta be honest, I have sung that song many, many, many times in my life, and I don't think I've ever really stopped to think about the words of that song, but I was thinking about them a couple weeks ago, and um, it was just kind of, they're really profound words. Sometimes I just kind of sing them. I'm not even sure what I'm singing, you know, heaven and nature sing, you know, just whatever, it sounds good, Right? But I was thinking about that, just that it says this joy to the world, the Savior comes, heaven and nature sing, fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sound of joy. And I was just amazed by that, that what this is talking about is that creation longs for a Savior, that we live in a world that is broken, that, that is destroyed, our relationships are destroyed with each other, our environment is destroyed, and we long for Jesus, and that, that even nature rejoices and has joy because Jesus has come. And, and I was thinking about that in really the work of what Jesus has done, what he's promised to do, right? The scripture talks about a day coming where the lion is going to lay before the lamb. And I was trying to even picture a reality, trying to picture what are the scientific laws that govern a world where the lion lays before a lamb? Because every scientific understanding I have of our current earth requires death and decay to spring forth new life, right? That there are violent tendencies in the very core of who we are as people in the core of who nature is or what nature is. And I can't even fathom a world that exists without death, that exists without suffering. Yet that is the promise of Jesus, Right, And that is what Jesus is doing. And I think that's what Mary is realizing in her song, that Jesus is coming, that he is flipping the entire world over on its head, that he is restoring all things. And she has incredible joy in that. Look at some of the things she sees. First, uh, kind of a, a real obvious point, but I think it's profound. It says, is this idea that she realizes that Jesus is God and God is awesome. Right? This is, it's, it sounds kind of simplistic, right? Like, okay, Jesus is God. Yes, that's something we as Christians believe deeply. And God is awesome. Obviously, if God created the whole world and everything in it, then God is awesome. But I think it's really amazing that Mary realizes that this child inside of her stomach is not just going to be a great leader, is not just going to be influential, isn't just going to be a good man, but there is something divine about this Messiah, 
that, that he is God and he is going to do awesome and amazing things. Listen to how she talks about him. It's not something that could just be some dude. It's, it's divine. She talks about um, that he is going to be called holy. And I don't know about you, but I don't know any person who I would call holy. There are people I see that do holy things. And there are people that I believe God looks at and God says, I call you holy. But there's nobody whose actions are holy. Yet Jesus was and is. And she sees that. She also says that, that you will give mercy to those who fear you from generation to generation. Now, again, people, humans, by definition, we live a generation, right? I mean, we live our generation. And, and to bless beyond our generation is is really not very realistic. I might be able to kind of bless my kids and they might kind of carry me with them to some level, but to truly bless generation beyond generation to give mercy, that's something that only God can do. Only the eternal could do that. And I think for us as Christians, that having joy in who Jesus is has to be joy in something more than just who was a person who came 2,000 years ago. Our joy is more than just Jesus being a good teacher. It's more than just Jesus being a good man. It's Jesus being divine, being God himself coming to earth, dying a sacrifice so that you and I could be shown mercy, that he could transform this world, that he could bring healing and restoration. And I think she sees that, and I think we see that in, our, in her song, and it brings her great joy, which makes me think, it makes me just really uh, overwhelmed or interested in the idea that our joy, I think, is really connected to our theology, right? That, that our understanding and a knowledge and, and an overwhelming interest in who God is can actually bring us joy and meaning in our life. I, again, thinking about who wrote this song, this is Mary. Mary, from the best of our knowledge, was probably a teenager, probably a 16, 17-year-old girl, maybe even younger. Uh, She was not even allowed into certain places in the temple, hadn't gone to deep seminary training, and yet she writes this song that is so deep with theology and understanding of who God is. I mean, Mary, at the age she was, if she lived in your house, you'd probably still be checking her homework and giving her a curfew, right? And yet she writes this that continues to today to challenge us. I think that's a lot about what her and Elizabeth were doing for three months up in the hills. They were, they were encouraging each other. They were pondering who God was and what he was doing in our world. And I think as a church, we need more theology. In fact, and it's not just theology for old white dudes who teach at seminaries, right? We need theology for all of us. We need our high school students engaging in theology. We need our seniors engaging in theology, not just for the study of getting more information in our head, but because when we do it, when we understand who God is, it brings us great joy and meaning and fulfillment in our life. So I think we need to to engage in these things. I think we need to ponder deep and, and thoughtful words like Christology and soteriology. I think we need to be overwhelmed with trying to understand what does it mean for Jesus to be our substitutionary atonement? How is it that God could foreknow us and predestine us? How does that work? What does it mean that God is sovereign? And I think when we, we think through these ideas, I think a couple of things will happen. One, maybe you can impress your friends with big words, all right? Maybe that's all you get out of it. Uh, But I doubt that's going to be the case because probably your friends don't care about those words. Uh, 
But I think more importantly, what, what can happen and what happens is when we wrestle with these concepts, we become more and more overwhelmed with who our God is and what he is doing in our world. And like Mary, I think we're overwhelmed with what God is calling us to and what he has blessed us with and the mission and the life that he has called us to live. And that overwhelms us, and I think it brings us great joy, hope, and meaning. And we need that in our afflicted world. That gives us a purpose and kind of a shelter in the midst of chaos. Um, It's going into winter time. And if you know me at all, I love to snowboard. And so unfortunately, you're probably going to hear a couple more skiing and snowboard illustrations between now and next April. But uh, here's the first one of the season. Um, I remember several years ago, uh, some friends of ours, we were up in Tahoe and we were going to go skiing uh, for the weekend. And we were up there and it was just a blizzard. I mean, it was just dumping. The snow was coming down and we were trying to find a place to ski, but every place was closed because it was just too much snow. They couldn't dig the ski lifts out fast enough. So we're coming back over Highway 50 going down into South Lake Tahoe. And you know, kind of right from the top, you can kind of look out. Well, you couldn't look out because it was a blizzard, but you know, where normally you can look out and see kind of South Lake. And so my buddy and I, we decide we're going to hop out of the car and we're going to ski down the mountain, and the, our wives were going to drive down and pick us up at the bottom. So we get all of our gear on, and it's a blizzard. So we're covered from head to toe. We look like we're about to climb Everest. There's no possible piece of skin showing that could get ripped off by the wind and snow, you know. And, and we bail out of the car, and as soon as we get out of the car, all the traffic stops on the highway because they're doing avalanche control right there. And... Uh, so we're kind of stuck. We don't want to like ski down and then have to, you know, them get the, our wives be stuck up there. So we, and then by this point, we were covered in snow. So we don't want to get back in the car and like ruin the upholstery. So we decide just to like sit in the snowbank there and kind of wait. And I, but I just remember we're sitting in the snowbank on the top of Highway 50 and it's a blizzard. The snow is coming down. The wind is blowing like crazy. The bombs from the avalanche control are exploding on the mountain above us. And yet, in a way, we were protected from that, from all of our snow gear, right? I could feel the wind. I could feel the cold, but I had comfort. I had security behind my shell of Gore-Tex or whatever. Um, And and I think in a, a much more real way, I think our theology does that for us. That we can live in a world that's hurting, in a world that's broken, where we turn on the news and we're just distraught with what's going on. And yet we can see what God is doing and what God is doing in our world and we can have hope and we can have joy even in the midst of that chaos. And so I think in this passage is a call to to dive deep in our theology, our understanding of who God is. And we see in Mary's song, we see a couple of different things. One, we see this vision for Jesus flipping our world on its head. And I love this about what she's talking about because she's talking about just this, um, a world that looks totally different in a lot of ways from the world that I see around me, right? And she's talking about these things as things that have already happened. She says, God has blessed me, that God has knocked down the proud and the arrogant, and he has lifted up the humble. He's done these things. And I wonder sometimes maybe if, like, Mary saw the world a lot different than I do, because I don't necessarily see that in the world, right? I don't see the humble people being exalted and the proud and the arrogant being knocked down a peg. I don't see 
those who have always had plenty of food not having food and those who are hungry being fed. I see moments of that. I see glimmers of that. But that's not the norm in our world. Yet I think what God was teaching Mary is that this is the plan. This is what I'm doing in the world. I'm going to restore all things. And when you see glimmers of it, when you see hopes of it, when you see the proud and the arrogant being knocked down and the humble being lifted up, when you see the hungry being fed, know that I am God. That our whole system is being reworked for your good. In fact, one of, I think, the most powerful and most beautiful things in this passage is she says that those who fear your name, uh, that you will um, give mercy to those who fear your name generation upon generation. And again, what a great truth that is for us. That receiving mercy from God is not about our works. It's not about the good things that we've done in our life. We don't have to someday turn in our spiritual resume to see if we deserve the mercy of God. In fact, the mercy of God comes to those who say, I, I need you, God. I'm broken without you. And God promises to give us mercy, to give us hope. And he pours that on us rich. And because of that, we can have great joy. I think that, that gives us a place of great joy, knowing I have been given mercy in the eyes of God. When he looks at me, he sees me with mercy and with love. Right, But this isn't just a, um, a spiritual thing she's talking about. Sometimes I think we can look at these passages and we just overly spiritualize them. We just say, okay, yeah, God is bringing spiritual hope. He's spiritually flipping the world upon its head, but nothing really physically or socially or politically. Right? But here she's talking about practical, applicable things that God is doing. And again, I don't think we're going to see the fullness of this until Jesus comes back again. I think when Jesus returns, we will see the fullness of what Mary is seeing in the work of Jesus. But I, I also think that we see actions of this happening now. And when we see those, I think we can have great joy knowing that those are the work of God. When people go and they humble themselves to feed those who are hungry. When people give up their places of power and authority to serve those who are less fortunate. When we, when we live with people, when we see God working in the lives of each other, I think we can have great joy in that, knowing that God is flipping our world on our hand, on our head, and what we see is a glimmer of what's coming that's gonna be so much greater. In this, Mary sees that Jesus is fulfilling his promises, that God is fulfilling the promises that he's made throughout Scripture. In fact, I think is probably her and Elizabeth were sitting up there in the hills. I think they were going, man, remember all those promises that we saw in the Old Testament? I know a lot of people think God has abandoned us, that God has let us down on those promises. But look at God is fulfilling those promises right now in Jesus. That God is bringing peace to the world. He is bringing restoration to the world. He is blessing the world through Abraham, through Israel, through this child, the line of David. And again, I think this is really applicable to me because sometimes it's easy to forget that or to, to kind of um, justify the promises that I see in Scripture and kind of say, eh, they're not really coming true. They kind of are coming true. But just this reminder from Mary that, no, these, the promises of God will be fulfilled, that he is fulfilling his promises. And, and they are coming true and they will come true. And we can have great hope and great joy in those things. That we don't wait kind of lost and hopeless, but we wait with great joy and longing to see what he's doing, knowing that he has promised great and wonderful things for us. 
And that's kind of the last thing I noticed about this, this song of Mary is just how personal it was, how, how deeply connected this was to what God specifically was doing for her. And sometimes in churches, we, we can play this game, and I've had this discussion myself where we go, okay, certain kinds of worship music, this is really good worship music because it's totally focused on God and there's no kind of self in it at all. Right, that's real worship music. And then there's this other kind of worship music over here that's kind of self-focused, and so that really isn't good worship music. I don't know if you've, hopefully you've never been part of these conversations, but they're, they exist. And yet, as I was reading this, I was just really struck by this. In like verse 48, she says, he has looked at the humble estate of his servant talking about herself, and for behold, from now on all generations shall call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And I think there is a great point and a reminder for us that we can have great joy because the amazing God, the creator of the universe, the God who is awesome and beyond our wildest imagination has done great things for me. And I get to be amazed by those things. That the very mercy of God has been promised to me. Not because of what I've done, but because I fear him. I say, God, I need you. That, that God is restoring our world, not because I deserve it, not because I'm going to figure out some solution to the hate and the violence and the ugliness in our world, but because God has promised it. And he's doing that for me, and that's personal, and that's real. And I can have great joy in that. So as a church this Christmas season, I think this is a, a good reminder. Can we... Share this joy in our own lives and with each other that's deep and profound, this joy that comes from the very nature and identity of who Jesus is and what he is doing in this world, what he has called us to be a part of, the life that he has allowed us to be, the salvation that he's given to us. Will we allow that to be kind of the source of our joy? And will we share that joy with each other? Will we encourage each other? Will we be telling each other this in the midst of whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in? So let me pray, and we're going to continue to, to worship him and to be in awe of him as we take communion and, and worship together. Jesus, we are overwhelmed by you. We need you. We long for you. We are in awe of the work that you've done and the work that you will continue to do. I just pray that we are a church that overflows with joy, that we have genuine joy that's... Um, that breathes life into each other, that brings hope and meaning to each other. God, we thank you for you coming, for humbling yourself for the sake of us, the broken and the proud and the arrogant. God, we long for you. We, we await your return. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.